How great was that? I love it. We can give him another hand. That was wonderful. Oh, they did a great job. Love it. Love getting into the story that way. Love seeing them be a part of everything. Just so encouraging. Let me share some of the schedule for this week, Easter week here. Uh, It starts on Good Friday. Good Friday. We are putting together an online video. And and think of it more of a a resource to use at your house with some others. It's an online only, and it will be a reflection for Friday night. So get get ahead of it. Get some communion elements there, and it will become available Friday afternoon. And you can use it any time that evening to focus on the death of Jesus, giving, you know, giving his life for us. We're going to focus on that Friday night. And Sunday morning, we'll be here to celebrate the resurrection. Amen? So in your row, there are cards. You can take them for inviting people. At home, you can invite people. Invite people to an online service. It's going to be live streamed. Invite people to an in-person service. Love to have people here for Easter celebrating the resurrection. And on Easter, we are going to have the baptismal available. There's moments when God moves in the heart and they say yes to Jesus. And uh, we read in the New Testament, the book of Acts, when people said yes to Jesus, uh, they said, let's get baptized. So we want to have the, the water will be ready. We will be ready. And when, this, when people move, we want to be ready for that. So we'll be ready next week. But if you already know, if you're at home and you already know, I need to respond in baptism. I need to publicly declare my faith in baptism, let us know. You can go to our website, northwest-church.com, scroll down, there's a baptism button, and it will, it will connect to me, and I will get in touch with you. But also be praying. Be praying for how God's going to move this week. Be praying for what God's going to do in hearts. We want to see uh, people move, responding, meeting Jesus. So if you make this a week of prayer as well. Let's pray now before we open the word. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for these kids. Thank you for the, just the way they served us by demonstrating many of the things you did that Easter weekend. Lord, and I just pray for each one that they would know you and trust you, and this wouldn't have just been a thing to do at church, but they would really consider the scriptures they read and the movements they did and the song they sang, that they're your kids and you love them, and you'd use them to reach the next generation of, of kids, and they'd be disciple makers. Lord, thank you for Kathy and those working with our children. And we pray for this week, Lord, would you just stir in people's hearts. It's been a long, different year, and I just pray that if you would use trouble, pain, hurt, anything to draw people to yourself, to find resurrection, new life, hope in you. We pray that you'd be drawing people who are ready to respond and announce it in baptism, Lord. And just give us people you want us to reach out to this week. And then we ask that you be over this moment, Lord, as we open your scriptures, we open your word. Would you speak to us? Would you teach us? Would you challenge us? Would you move us where you want us to go? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to look at some of the events of Palm Sunday today. And uh, and we're going to start with this thought, though, that we like to assert our independence. You know that? Even, even little babies start, right? Have you ever seen or fed a little baby and you're coming in with the mush food and you get near the mouth and they do this? Right? You try the airplane moves. They're not buying it. You're not putting that in my mouth, right? 
If you actually tasted it, you would understand why. But, all right, you're not feeding me that. Or you hear little kids talk and they say, you're not the boss of me. You hear them talk to another kid. It's a free country. I can do that over here, right? You'll hear that. You can't make me. Right, right from, from kids, from childhood, we want to assert our independence. I'm in control. I decide for myself. So we're going to look today at the whole issue of authority. Who has authority? Who's in control? What does that mean? What does it mean, authority? One of the key issues surrounding Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and, as we saw, cleansing the temple was an issue of authority. Who can do this? Can you do this? Who says you can do that? Can you have authority in my life? Do you get to command me? Or do we say, "Mm, you can't make me. I'm not doing that. So we're going to look at the whole issue of authority related to the Palm Sunday event. So let's turn to uh, and and just think about this event. We're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 11 today. Mark chapter 11. And uh, it was in the stories of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Right? He, He rode in. And was heralded a king's, uh, a king's entry. But it was a different kind of king, right? It was lowly. He wasn't on a big war horse. He wasn't riding a chariot. He was riding a young baby donkey. And the crowd that was hailing him and, and welcoming him wasn't soldiers. It wasn't the elite. He had a crowd who was poor. He had a, a group who had been healed by him, a group who was blind and lame and, and been healed by Jesus, and they were uh, welcoming him. And so that was the scene. It was kind of a very different scene. So um, that's when Jesus comes in, and what I want us to do is look at the events right after he gets there. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11, and Mark chapter 11, verse 15 to 19, and then we're going to go to verse 27 to so if you've got a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 11 today. I'd love for you to read it with your own eyes or open a device that's got a Bible on there. Again, turn off your alerts. No watching NCAA scores this morning. Come on. You can, you can DVR it. Okay, Mark chapter 11, verse 15. Jesus comes in on the donkey. First thing he does, let's take a look. Mark eleven fifteen. 15. And they came to Jerusalem... And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So we're going to jump down to verse 27 now. We're going to, there's a little scene about a fig tree. We're going to skip that for today. So let's go to verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. So this is like the next day. Jesus comes back. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority, there's our word, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. 
and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So there's our passage today. Here's the point that Jesus uses all his authority to make a way for you. Jesus uses all his authority to make a way for you. So I want to go back and look at this this story, this account of authority and how Jesus is using it and how does it work in our life today. So let's look at a few places here. If you look at verse 17, right, Jesus clears the temple and then he says, right, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. He clears out this place and says, uh, this, we're not going to have this here. And so just understanding what he did, the temple area had sort of layers or levels of access. There was an innermost holy place that the high priest went just once a year. So very, very restricted. Then there was an outer court where priests could offer different things. Then there was a court of the men where Jewish men could assemble. There was a court of the women where Jewish women could assemble. And then the furthest out court or courtyard or opening in the area was called the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles meaning nations, ethnic groups. That's where we get that word. That was the place where the whole marketplace was set up. Animals being sold for sacrifice. There was a money currency exchange system. You had to uh, give. Your giving to the temple had to be in these certain silver coins. You couldn't just put any old coin in there. So you had to exchange your money. And they would have it at a horrible exchange rate. So that you just would get a terrible deal. So they were cheating people, robbing people. But what upset Jesus, he said, my temple is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. People are supposed to come in here to pray. And the place where they were supposed to pray was filled with a big bazaar, filled with a big fair, filled with animals and people cheating you out of your money. And Jesus just said, we're going to take care of that. So he quotes that from, from, uh, that's actually from Isaiah 56. And then he says, "Uh, you have made it a den of robbers. It's supposed to be a place of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers in verse 18. And then, now look what happens here. It says, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it, And we're seeking a way to destroy him. So it wasn't the action. It wasn't that they saw what he did and saw him tip everything over. It's when he said that. When when they heard him. Did you catch that? When they heard him quote that quote, then they were mad. When they heard what he said about it, and then they said they were looking for a way to destroy him. But the crowd was astonished. So they were afraid. How do we destroy him? Because the crowd likes him, but we don't want it. So that's what's going on. They're mad. As much about what he did, but also of what he said, that he said, you've made it a den of robbers. I'm going to come back to that because that's actually a quote from the book of Jeremiah. But I wanted you to see they're upset. They're fearing that he's going to take over and have more power and authority than them. They don't like what he just said. So that's just setting the table for this encounter the next day. So if you jump back down to uh, verse 27... Right, he's coming back the next day, he's walking in the temple, there's a lot more room, there's a lot less animals, things are feeling good, and then here they come, right? I don't know if you've ever been called to the principal's office, or had them pull you over, and there's that fear, (laughs) 
This is all of them, right? You see that? The chief priests and the scribes and the elders, all the people, all frowning, all mad, all the leaders surround Jesus. And if you look in verse uh, 28, they get to that question. By what authority are you doing these things? Right? Who gave you this authority? Because aren't they the authorities? Aren't they in charge of the temple? Aren't they the leaders? They're basically saying, we didn't tell you to come rip the place apart. So where do you get off doing this? Who told you that's okay? The word there, authority, is the word it means to have the freedom to do it. Right? To have the freedom to do it and the power to do it. So Jesus freely walked in there. He, he called it my house. will be a house of prayer. He freely walked in there and he had the power to drive them out. Even when they were cracking that whip in here, I was kind of like, whew, it kind of startled me a little bit. That would move me out. Jesus was whipping them and knocking stuff out. But the word authority means the power and the freedom to do it. That's what's at issue here is authority. And we think about that maybe if your own lawn or your own car. I saw this um, just this week. I, there's a side of my yard where my side yard and my neighbor's side yard touch. The, the lawns touch. But for my neighbor to mow their side yard, uh, they just kind of have a beauty bark strip. They bring their lawnmower through my yard to get down there. Well, they use a lawn mowing service. I use a middle school boy service who lives in my house. But they use the lawn service. So it's this big, high-powered thing. And so I looked out my side window, and there's a big, muddy burnout spot where I think they went down there and got the thing stuck. My house is on a hill, so it's so there's this big burnout. And then I look, and... Um, and going up my lawn, my part of the lawn, there's big brown tire marks from where they came out. And I was like, hey, that's my lawn. They can't drive on my lawn to mow their lawn. And there was this part of me that wrote, who gave them permission. They didn't even ask. They didn't even knock. They can't. And it's, I mean, it's like a four foot by 15 feet. It's a little teeny strip they got to mow. But then I was like, settle down. It's just grass. You're going to mow your own grass. And if you want to love these people for Jesus, being mad about their lawnmower is not the way to get it done. So, but that was the issue of authority. Who gave them authority to drive on my lawn? Who gave them permission? How come they could just do that? That's what's at issue here. They're saying, who gave you authority to walk into the temple, clear out the whole system we've set up, throw everyone out, holler at us, and then who gave you the authority to call us uh, doing a den of robbers? So that's what's at issue. How, who gave you that power? Who gave you that freedom? Why do you get to do that? That's what they're getting at. What authority? Because they think they have the authority and he doesn't. So we keep going there in verse uh, 29. Jesus said, I'll ask you a question. He's not intimidated. He's not afraid. He's not worried. He's not going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. I hope they don't. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll put everything back. No, he says, I'll ask you a question. Answer me. I like that. You answer my questions. And then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you say? And so then he goes to this um, question about John the Baptist. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Two times he said that. They come in kind of trying to intimidate him. And he's not intimidated. He's, I'll ask the questions here and you answer my questions. He said, answer me. You tell me. And so here's the issue. This whole thing about John the Baptist. This was a, a test question for Jesus 
to expose their heart. Why are they surrounding him? Why are they mad? Why aren't they responding to what Jesus has been doing? Why aren't they impressed when he heals the blind and the lame? Why are they rejecting him? Why are they so upset? So Jesus asked them this test question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? So the question is, was John the Baptist sent by God to do God's work Or is he just some crazy guy that got this idea that he was starting a religious movement and he wore strange clothes and lived in the wilderness and people kind of thought it was cool for a while, but he's not from God, he's delusional. And that's the question. Was John delusional, a, a guy on his own? Or was he actually the guy sent by God to do this work? So I want to dive into that a little bit. With this whole issue of John the Baptist, to get at why Jesus asked him that and this whole issue of authority. So you've got to go with me to Malachi chapter 3. If you're in the book of Mark, keep your finger in there, put a little bookmark in there, because yeah, we're, we're going to come back to Mark. But Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So you're going back to the left. If you've got a paper Bible, you're going to go, it's just before Matthew is the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And, uh, and what we're going to see is this whole plan that God used with John the Baptist. And we're going to see why this question makes sense, how it gets at this issue of authority. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. God's speaking. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. God speaking in the first person. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come in to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. So did you catch that? Here's the issue. All along in the Old Testament scriptures, God has been promising a deliverer, a savior, a Messiah. That means the anointed one, the chosen one, someone to reverse the sin, reverse the curse. Uh, Someone he's been doing this whole thing. But the question is, how will we know when he gets here? Lots and lots and lots of crazy people show up and lead these re- religious movements, and I'm somebody, and I'm the prophet, and there's going on today. People get some movement, and they go off in the wilderness, and then they always say, I have to marry all the wives, and then it ends in a blaze of gunfire. But anyways, it's still going on today. How do we know, how do we know when God's sending his deliverer? He, had a, he said, I'm going to have a two-person system. First, a messenger's going to come then I'm going to come. You're going to know because I'm going to send somebody right beforehand, right? He says, the messenger will prepare the way before me. He's going to go, then I'm going to go. What does it say? The Lord whom you seek will come into his temple, my temple, and I can clear it out. So that was step one. Look over at verse, chapter four, verse five. You're still in Malachi. Chapter four, verse five. He said, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So he said, I'm going to send somebody. Verse 5, I'm going to send someone like Elijah. I'm going to send you another Elijah. Elijah was the strong prophet. So when John the Baptist comes on the scene. He comes like Elijah. He's wearing similar clothing to Elijah, right? He wears the camel garment and the belt. He lives in the wilderness. He eats locusts and honey. And uh, so he comes like that. So here's, here's the deal. 
Jesus' question is, who is, John the, who is this John the Baptist guy? Was he the one who was to come? Is he the one that promised, or is he just some, some crazy person? And so Jesus, John the Baptist's purpose was to point out when the Messiah comes. That was the whole point, a messenger, a forerunner, someone in the spirit of Elijah's coming. So I want us to look at John the Baptist's own words. If you can go to the book of John. So going back to the right, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And so is John the Baptist this guy? Is John the Baptist the forerunner who's to come? Is John the Baptist the one who is the messenger? Is he Elijah? That, that's what Jesus is claiming. I want us to see John's own words. I want to see John's own words. So if you're in John chapter 1, verse 29, this is John the Baptist talking about who he is, what he came to do, his relationship to Jesus. And then we're going to tie this in. How does this, why is Jesus getting at this issue? John 1, 29 says, The next day he, John the Baptist is talking, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's God's Lamb. That's God's sacrifice. He says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. He's saying he's following me, but he's actually in front of me. He's following me because he's actually always, but he's actually always existed. Now here's key. I myself did not know him. He said, I didn't know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So John the Baptist is saying, my point was to show Israel the Messiah. Look at verse 32. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me. So John, remember they said, was John baptism from heaven or from man? Did he make it up on his own? In John's own witness, he said, no, I was sent. He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John is saying, I'm the messenger, I'm the one that's supposed to come, and I was sent by somebody. I was sent by God, and the signal was, how will I know? How do I know who the Messiah is? He's saying, I didn't know. He said, I had to baptize. And the one I baptized, when the Spirit of God went on that one, that's the one. So when Jesus gets baptized, that's exactly what happens. He's baptized by John. It says, the heavens opened. The Spirit of God descended like a dove on Jesus. A voice spoke from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And John's saying, I'm testifying. That was his point. He went into the wilderness baptizing. Is it you? Nope. Out. Is it you? Nope. Right? And then Jesus gets in the water. Boom. It happens. So this is always a saying is that John is saying, I was sent. I did not come on my own. The signal was whoever the Holy Spirit descends on, that's the Messiah. That's the Son of God. And he's saying, I've seen it. I'm telling you, it's him. So, That's the whole story with John the Baptist. Jesus is getting at, okay, what do you think of this John guy? Is he the messengers to come? Was his baptism from heaven? Did he do the role of the guy in Malachi to point out the Lord? Did he see the Spirit come? Because if he did, then Jesus is saying, I'm the one you should be listening to. So he's really putting that on him. So go back to Mark. told you to keep a finger in there. Keep a a text in there. Keep a, a 
one of these things in there. Mark 11:31. So that's the whole setup. That's the whole question. What? Who is this John guy? Is he crazy or is he on his own? Or was he sent by God to reveal the Messiah? And when you asked John, what did he say? He said it was me. The Spirit descended on me. That's what Jesus is doing. So verse 31, they discussed it with one another. It's like they huddled up. All right, over here. If we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? Right? If, the, if we say that, then he's going to say, well, why aren't you paying attention? Because the whole Old Testament's pointing to this one moment, and you're not going to believe him? So like, well, we can't say that. But shall we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. They're like, well, we don't really want to say from man, because then the people will rebel and trample us and stone us, and we don't want that. Talk about politicians, right? Well, we don't want to make this group mad. Well, we don't want to make this group mad, but we don't really want to do the right thing, but we don't want people to know we're not doing the right, right? They just, so what do they say? We don't know. That's called a punt. We're just, we don't know. We're going to punt the ball back. We don't, we don't know what to do. But the whole thing is they did know. They just didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to follow. They didn't want to say, you're the one. They didn't want to yield for a moment. And here's where it gets back to that whole issue of authority. We resist God's authority. We resist. You see these guys here? They're resisting. You can't come in here and mess up my thing that I've set up. You can't come and ruin the system I've made that's made me prosperous and given me political power, given me a sense of self. You can't come in here and disturb all that. And they don't want this. So they don't want to know if he's from God. And they don't want to really do the right thing for the people. They just want to do their own thing. They're resisting his authority. Now, here's the thing. We can resist God's authority inside of religion. Inside of going to a church. We can be church going. We can be religious people externally. But we can be saying to God, hey, don't come into my house and mess up my stuff. And God's kind of saying, it's actually all my house. So let's go back to that. I told you we were going to go back and look at that issue in Mark eleven seventeen, Right? I want to go back to that issue. All right? He said, he clears the temple. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Then verse 18, he said, you have made it a den of robbers. Remember I said when they heard that, they wanted to kill him? That phrase right there made him really mad. And remember, it didn't say when, I, when they saw him throw things around, they got mad. It said when they heard that, they got mad, right? You saw that verse, verse 18. And then when they heard it, they were seeking a way to destroy him. They were so mad they wanted to kill him when he said that. So what's, what's the big deal about that? What's that phrase? That's a quote. That's a quote from Jeremiah chapter 7. So let's go with me to that quote. And I want to see why it makes him so mad and how it, uh, it reveals that we really, we really don't want God to have authority over us. So Jeremiah chapter 7, this is a quote. 7, we're going to do verse 8 through 11. No, I'm missing it. Here we go. Okay, we got it. Jeremiah 7. You got it quicker than me. Why do they make the Bible pages so thin? All right, here we go. That's another question. 7 verse 8. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house 
which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. So you get, this is 600 years before Jesus, this, this situation. So what they were doing, the people were going out, living any old way they felt like, worshiping other gods, which involved lots of messy stuff, stealing, robbing, cheating, lying. But then they'd go to the temple feast, and they'd offer the prescribed sacrifice, and they would say, oh, everything's good. The temple's here. We did the right sacrifice. God's got to be with us. And God's going, wait a minute. You've turned my temple into the hideout where we plan our next robbery, into the place where we plot our next choice to sin. He said, you've taken my temple with my name on it, gone out there and lived any old way you want, sinned all you want, worshiped other gods all you want, and then you come back in here and pretend everything's okay as long as you externally comply with the rules. So what happened in Jeremiah's day? Well, God sent the Babylonians in. They destroyed everything, burned the temple, and hauled them off. So when Jesus says in Mark chapter 11, uh, you guys are making a den of robbers, he's saying, you're just like them. You have no interest in worshiping me. You're living your life any old way you want. And then you come in the temple, and I'm going to look the part, and I'm going to act the part, and I'm going to think everything's cool. And Jesus is going, it's not cool. And I see it. So that's what makes him so mad. So that's why I said it is possible to be inside of religion, inside of a church, but still resist God's authority. We can come in here and we can look the part and dress the part and everyone thinks we're on track, but we can go out and live any old way we want and God doesn't get to direct us. And then God does things like, well, I'm going to mess up your house a little bit. You might lose your job. You might have a family problem. COVID might hit. And you all of a sudden go, what are you doing messing with my house? And you want, you're mad. Just like Jesus comes in and he said, no, you're not doing this in my house. And they said, you don't have authority. So you see, it's a clash of authority. And we can use religion to look the part. And then we can also not be in religion and look the part. It's actually the same spirit where you say, God, you don't get to come in here and tell me what to do. It's the same spirit of that toddler that you're not going to feed me that thing. So from, um, I quoted this earlier. There's a book uh, I've been reading called The Disappearing Church by Mark Sayers. And in the beginning of that, he outlines several uh, values things that are important to our post-Christian culture. It's the same thing that the Pharisees were doing. Here's one of them. The highest good is individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression. Me. I decide I'm who I want to be. I do what I want to do. I feel what I want to feel. That's a post-Christian value. Another one he said that forms of external authority are rejected and personal authenticity is lauded, meaning I'm true to me, I'm being who I want to be. So that's the culture of our day that says no one outside of me tells me what to do. I'm in control. And it comes down to this phrase I mentioned before called, it's the kingdom without the king. We want the blessings of God, we want the favor of God, we want a stable life, community, we want everything to be good and fair, but we don't want the king who brings all those things. We don't want anyone telling me what to do at any time. And so we can do that just living out there, but we can do it in here too. We can say, I'm looking the part, I'm at the right places, but I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I just want people to think I'm on track. I want to fool God. God's not fooled. He's not fooled. So let's get back here. Let's, let's bring this home. 
I said, Jesus uses all his authority to make a way for you. Is Jesus wanting to just stamp on you and direct you and boss you and puff out his chest and tell, is that his point? And that's why we don't want him to do it? What, what's his point? What did he say there in that Mark eleven seventeen? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. He used his authority to cleanse the temple to grant access. Right? Right now, what our culture is longing for equality. Jesus was way, way ahead of this. This is a quote from Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus is even on the scene in the flesh, and he already has a vision. He says, my temple is so every nation, every ethnicity can come in. And when access was blocked, Jesus said, no, no, we're not blocking access. We're opening this up because I want every ethnic group to have access to prayer. And Jesus is saying, you know, in, in heaven, every ethnic group is represented. So that, that's why he uses authority, because people were being blocked. And that's not okay. So he cleanses it out. So he uses his authority to create access for people. And then I want to show you what he does with his authority in John chapter 10. This is the last jump. Last jump, I promise you. John chapter 10. I want you to see what Jesus uses with his authority, what he does with it. John chapter 10, verse 14. John 10, 14. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, that's us, that's the Gentiles, that's us, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Here's his authority. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So it wasn't the Romans that got Jesus. It wasn't the religious leaders that finally outwitted him. He said, I willingly lay it down. I have the authority to lay it down. I'm going to walk to that cross. I'm going to willingly stay there. I'm going to give up my spirit and die. I'm going to let him put me in the tomb. And I'm going to come back. And then I'm going to raise on high. And I have the full authority, the right, the freedom, the power to do it. And it was for his sheep, right? So I can bring him in and have one flock, one shepherd. So it's not that God's authority is to crush you, to control you, to manipulate you. Jesus lays down his authority to make a way for you to have access. But then there's times when he comes into your life and says, we're off track. You're not listening to me anymore. we, We need you to go this way. You've filled things up in your life that are blocking others maybe from coming. And so there's a time when Jesus comes in and rearranges sometimes. He comes in and clears out. And we can be mad because those rearrangements often look like painful things. Things get hurt. Things get taken. Things change. And we say, hey, hey, you can't come in here and mess it up. But if we trust him, we trust him when we see he's laid down his authority and he did it to bring us in. We say, okay, what are you doing? How can I follow? This hurts. Help me. And so I just wonder if today your attitude towards God is this, even if it doesn't look like it from the outside, you can be in all the religious places, but it's still doing this. Or you could be the first time hearing this 
and you've always had this attitude towards God, but when you see his authority laid down to bring you life, would you say, okay, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do this? Where do you want to take me? What do you want me to do? How can my life serve your kingdom? And it's actually better, (laughs) and it's filling, and it's fruitful, and it's healing to you and to others. So make that this week. Jesus, what's my posture? Am I doing this? Am I doing this? What What do you want me to do? Maybe he's really rearranged some things, and you're struggling. Ask him to help you through that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are willing and able to come and to lay your life down. Lord, you are the one that was promised long ago. You are the one that checks all the boxes of, of the Old Testament. And you're the one that makes us new. And sometimes it gets hard. Sometimes things get messed up. Sometimes you clear something out of, out of the house and we don't like it. Lord, give us the ability to trust, to yield, to, to wait and see what you're doing. Or break down our heart of that might be rebellious and independent. And let us have hearts that follow you. Lord, we just thank you so much again that you love us and died for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.